Hi, everyone. We are a church that believes in prayer, and uh, we have a fine gentleman named Ernie Colley that some of you may know, and he had three um, brain surgeries and was saved by one of our members of a church, um, Stephanie Baker, and he has had a lot of heart issues recently, so they've shocked him a number of times trying to get his heart back in rhythm. He's waiting for a surgery, um, an oblation for his heart, um, but I would like, if you don't mind, for us to bow our heads and pray for him. Lord, you're the great healer, the great physician. There's nothing beyond your reach. There's nothing that you cannot do. We ask you to bless and watch over Ernie Colley and Tony and the doctors who are taking care of him, that he'll get in sooner for that procedure and that you will heal him. We know that you can heal him without any intervention by a doctor. It's just totally up to your will. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We do believe in prayer. God is the ultimate healer, and we know he can. And Ernie's a tough guy, man. If some of you know him, uh, he is awesome, and uh, he's a one of a kind, really, when you get to know him. So please keep him in your prayers as he goes through this with he and his family. So, you know, listen, I am so excited to kick off Love Week today. How cool is that? I am so eager for us to begin to push out into our community and to share the love and truth of who Jesus is. This world desperately needs Jesus. So we're going to push out. We're going to push out with his love as he leads us. And today we're going to talk about love is. Next week we'll talk about love does. And we'll hear testimonies, I hope, from many of you on how God used you during Love Week to share the love of Jesus with other people. Now, the world has a lot to say about love, but nearly everything that it has to say about love is wrong. Because the only way to actually define true love is to go straight to the source, straight to the author of love, God himself. He is the author of love because as the Bible teaches in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, He is love. It's one of His many attributes. So real love absolutely cannot be defined outside of who He is. No matter how appealing the world's definition of love may be, it's not real love. It's just a fake, cheap, distorted, imitation of true love that will never ever satisfy the world's definition of love is very compelling because it plays on our emotions it plays on what satisfies us it plays on what makes us feel good what gives us pleasure not to mention that it's plastered everywhere in our society this twisted perverted and deceitful worldly love is paraded throughout our entertainment industry It's in our TV and all the programming. It's in our movies. It's in our magazines. It's all over the internet. And there are countless books that have been written by human authors who have little to no understanding of what true love is. The greatest deception of worldly love is trying to define itself in terms of satisfying itself. Worldly love revolves around self. It's all about what we can get. Biblical love, on the other hand, revolves around others. And it's all about what we can give. Worldly love is consumed with self-interest. How can I be fulfilled? How can I be satisfied? 
How can I be happy? <coughs> Biblical love is selfless, and it's sacrificial. And it's consumed with, how can I fulfill others? How can I satisfy others? How can I make others happy? Biblical love gives without any expectation of receiving anything in return. Worldly love always desires something in return, no matter how cleverly we try to hide it. Worldly love is shallow, and it often looks at what's on the outside. Biblical love is deep, and it's more concerned with what's on the inside. Worldly love will say it's a feeling, but feelings change. They come and they go. Feelings are easily influenced by what we can get and how we feel because feelings often lie. And they are a great avenue for the enemy to hijack our faith. So while worldly love will define love based on our feelings, biblical love is not based on our feelings at all. It's based solely on who God is. God is love. However, a very popular slogan today is love is love. It's used all over social media today. And it means I can do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want. Because love is love, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> love is not love. It is not love. No matter how popular this is in our culture today, and no matter how many famous people shout it, show it, or even flaunt it, love is not love. And no matter how many times it's tweeted and retweeted, love is not love. Love is exactly and exclusively what God says it is. When we try to say love is love, we're in effect saying that love is whatever we make it to be. That's like saying we're defining God by our image when it's actually the complete opposite of this. God determines what love is. Man has nothing to do with it. Man can be so arrogant and so prideful to think that he can define love by his feelings. But God is not like our feelings that change all the time. He is not a God that will celebrate with us as we do whatever we feel like doing that makes us happy. Because doing whatever makes us happy, when it conflicts with God's word, will never, ever, ever, ever satisfy us and cause us to be truly happy. That's an endless illusion that leads only to death and destruction. That's the deception and insanity of saying love is love. Worldly love is always changing and redefining itself. You ever, figured, you ever watch that? You see how that happens? Look at what, how our society was 50 years ago compared to what you're seeing today. Pretty crazy, right? Because that's what love is love means. It's constantly redefining itself. But biblical love is unending, and it is unchanging. Love is not love. God is love. And God does not change. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad that God doesn't flip-flop on his love for you and I like feelings do? 
Aren't you glad God doesn't shift his word to match our culture or shift his stance on whatever seemingly new idea that man has come up with to justify his sin? God's love is unchanging. It's who he is. Love is also not lust. The world often confuses love and lust. I think Job captures the definition of love rather well. He says this in Job chapter 31, verses 11 through 12. He says, For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. I'd say that's pretty strong, don't you? Lust is a strong feeling or desire to get what it wants for immediate satisfaction without any regard for the consequences. Love is God-directed, while lust is self-directed. Love wants to give, while lust always wants to get. Love is dying to self, while lust is living for self. Lust is a desire we have, while love is a decision we make. Biblical love always begins with a decision, and then it grows to maturity in commitment. Decision and commitment are the bedrocks of biblical love. Now, the world will say love is blind, but true love isn't blind at all. No, true love sees everything. It sees all of our imperfections and all of our mess and still chooses us anyway. That's true love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that love covers over a multitude of sins. It takes a tremendous amount of effort and faith to overlook someone's sins and mistakes, as well as all the motivations that go behind them, and yet still choose to love them anyway. And that's exactly what God did for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God chose us in spite of our sin in spite of all of our imperfections. And he loved us so much that he died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So real love, true love, biblical love, at its core is self-sacrifice. It's self Sacrifice. Now, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, it says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Because Jesus sacrificed his life in the greatest act of love this world has ever known, we can clearly see that real love is action. Real love produces selfless and sacrificial action. Real love is all about giving of ourselves to others. So now, so far this morning, we've established that what real love is. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that leads to a lifelong commitment It chooses to love no matter what. It does not change. Real life, or excuse me, real love sacrifices itself for others. 
Real love is not defined by the world. It can only be defined by God. Because God is love. And real love is not just empty words. Real love is action. It's self-sacrificing action that serves others. But why is it that the world we live in gets real love so desperately and so completely wrong? Why is it that nearly everything we see and hear about love in this world is so far removed from the truth? Well, Paul tells us exactly why in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, And we're going to pause right here in these verses for just a minute. There's three more that we're going to cover. But I can't pass this up because there's some really good stuff here. So we're going to pause. We are living in the last days right now. All of the things that Paul describes here describe the world that we live in right now. And the very first reason that Paul lays out in this very long list of reasons of why the world gets true love wrong is that men will be lovers of themselves. Self can often be the enemy of real love. And listen, the Bible never tells us to love ourselves because that comes naturally. We don't have to be commanded to love ourselves. That comes so easily for most of us. So when Scripture says we are to love others as we love ourselves, this is not normal in the natural. It's in our flesh. But it is normal in the supernatural. Because true love doesn't focus on what we can get, it focuses on what we can give. So we shouldn't see this problem with loving itself as simply we shouldn't love ourselves. The real problem is that we love ourselves too much and we love others too little. That is the root of the issue. Now, the very last word here in verse 2 really stands out to me. Because this is the essence of where our culture is today. That word, unholy. Unholy. That word epitomizes the evil in our culture right now. That word, unholy, is also the name for the song that just won a Grammy for best pop duo performance. That happened last week. If you saw this performance at the Grammys or you read about it in the news, then you probably already know how vile, how disgusting, and how demonic it was and just how heinous their lyrics were too. And yet, our culture celebrates it. In fact, it parades it all over the TV so everyone can see. Our culture praises unholiness. Our culture not only praises it, our culture worships it. And to top it off, it gives it an award because it was so great in the eyes of the world. It was so incredibly in-your-face evil and demonic that I'm going to spare you any of the details here except to say that there was nothing redeeming or loving about it. This is unfortunately where our world is right now. What is evil is called good, And what is good is called evil. And we have to be on our guard. And we've got to use our discernment because our enemy is incredibly crafty at slipping in evil under the guise of good. Now, I want you to look at this Valentine's Day card. 
When I was at Target with my wife on Friday, we were shopping for some cards, and I happened to see this. And it really caught my attention. So look at this nice little raccoon. Isn't he cute? Sitting there on top of the heart. Look at that. It's so special. And then the card reads, like a thief in the night. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? Satan is really good at twisting the Bible to suit his agenda. And his agenda is always to steal, kill, and destroy. So then when you open up this card, you can see it on the right. What does it say? You have stolen my heart. That's exactly what Satan is after. He wants to steal your heart. He's the author of worldly love, but he's a liar and he's a thief. You see this kind of stuff like this right here? It's everywhere. If we'll just ask God to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see it. So we don't get our definition of love from the world. We get it from the one whose very character is love itself, the Lord God Almighty. Now, Paul continues in our text here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That whole list that I was going through when I was starting out and I said, in the last days for men will be, we ended with unholy. He continues, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And now we see why the world misses what true love is because it loves pleasure instead of loving God. If we put that together with what we've said in verse 2, people in the last days are much more interested in loving themselves by what brings them pleasure instead of loving God and what pleases Him. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, you can see there in the verse at the end, it says, verse 5, having a form of godliness. In other words, this is saying that the people that this verse describes, they appear to be holy. They appear to love God on the outside, but they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. You ever seen that in some of those award shows? They get up there, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they go to sing, bleepity, bleepity, bleep, and all the other junk. Are you kidding me? There are far too many people in the world who have an appearance of loving God, being religious and having faith, and they can profess one thing with their mouth and then do the exact opposite with their actions. These kinds of people can shipwreck our faith. It's why the word says that we are to turn away from them. So to understand what true love is, we need to understand who God is. We need to know him. And to know him means we need to know his word. No matter how much the world struggles to define love or how much the world keeps trying to redefine or reinvent love, God's definition of love is absolutely critical and crystal clear, and it will never, ever, ever change. So let's look at the greatest and most succinct definition of love there is in all the world. Today's title is Love Is. Well, here it is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some here on the shelf. You're welcome to borrow. You can follow along up here on your mobile device. I've even got it on your handout. You can follow it along there if you'd like to. Here we go. God's word says, beginning in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is by far the greatest and most compelling definition of true love there is in the entire world right here. And this definition reflects the very character of God. So let's break all this down. Love is patient. Oh, wow, God had to begin with that one, didn't he? God, <laughs> love is patient. I look at that, and unfortunately, I fail at this at more times than I care to admit, especially with my family. <laughs> Can I get another amen, honey? <laughs> That's awesome. I love having her in service. <laughs> Y'all need to help out downstairs so she can be up here. <laughs> The Greek word for patience, it means to be long-suffering. It means to be slow to anger, to have a long fuse. Love is kind. Kindness is actually patience in action. And the Greek word for kind, it means useful. So to be kind is to seek out opportunities to be helpful. Love does not envy. Other translations render this as, love is not jealous. The Greek word used here is where we get the, the English word zeal from. It means to eagerly desire. And in the Bible, it can mean, uh, it can be positive or it can be negative. When we think of envy or jealousy in the negative sense, we think of greed and selfishness. It's where one wants what others have for themselves. Now, love does not boast and is not arrogant. Boasting and arrogance stem from selfish pride, and it is the opposite of being jealous. Jealousy wants what others have. Bragging is when we make others want what we have. Jealousy puts others down, while bragging builds self up. Bragging is going on about ourselves in an effort to impress others and making ourselves look good. Love is not about building self up. It's about building others up. And love is not proud. Love is humble. Someone who shows true love knows that everything they have is an undeserved gift from God, so they don't boast about it. Instead, they're thankful for it, and then they use what God has given them to bless and serve others. Love does not dishonor others. The New King James renders this as not behaving rudely. In other words, love treats others with respect. It's courteous, it's polite, and it's sensitive to the feelings of others. Love is not self-seeking. In other words, love does not demand its own way. Self-seeking is the exact opposite of real love, which is self-sacrificing. Love is not easily angered. The Greek word that's used here means to sharpen, to incite, or to irritate. So love does not have a short fuse. I was just talking to a friend last week about his AR-15. And he was talking about how hard it was to pull his trigger. So he pulled out the trigger and he got a new hair trigger. Like you could barely put any pressure on and it would fire. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But love does not have a hair trigger temper that easily fires at people. Love doesn't make others walk on eggshells so that it won't set off the volcano that's about to erupt. 
And love keeps no record of wrongs. This means love does not keep a tally of wrongs or hold judges, or grudges, excuse me. And then there's no scoreboard for love. Love doesn't wait for the right moment to bring up a past hurt and then to rub that person's nose in it. Love forgives. Keeping score is not love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. To rejoice in the truth is to be happy about behavior that aligns with God's word. If someone you don't care for falls into sin or has something bad happen to them, love doesn't gloat over it. No, love grieves over it. Although love is kind and overlooks the offenses of others, it never compromises the truth or takes a casual view of sin. Sin grieves the heart of God, and it should grieve ours too. So when we see someone caught up in sin, we should lovingly and patiently correct them. Love rejoices with the truth. So that means it should get really excited when it sees spiritual victories or when it sees sees spiritual growth. Love always protects. The Greek word for protect, this was interesting. The Greek word for protect is the idea of covering over or hiding over the faults of others. This means that love doesn't broadcast or gossip about the problems or faults of others. Love doesn't tell jokes about others or put others down. Love should defend the character of others as much as possible without compromising the truth. Love will not lie about someone's weakness, but it also won't advertise those weaknesses either. No, love always protects. Love always trusts. This does not mean that love believes absolutely everything. Love is not gullible. But it's also not suspicious or doubting of others. It's not suspicious or doubting of their character or the motives behind that without a compelling reason. Love believes a person is innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. If a problem arises, love does not jump to conclusions and start blaming others. Love always hopes. This means love is optimistic. It's not pessimistic. True love relies on the promises of God and does not ever consider failure as final. Love always perseveres and never fails. To persevere is to hold your ground from an assault from our enemy. It's to hang out. Hang out in there, hang in there, and don't bail out when things get tough. To never fail means true love never falls down. It never ends. It continues forever. God said in his word that he would never leave you and that he would never forsake you. That's his covenant to everyone who puts their trust in him. And he sealed this covenant by the blood of his one and only son, Jesus who lovingly, selflessly, and sacrificially gave his life for our sins so that we could receive his salvation and spend eternity with him. That's real love. I encourage you this week to read and study 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. To understand how God is love, replace the word love in these verses with God. This is how you'll know his character. God is patient. God is kind. God is not, does not envy. To understand how you and I should love, replace the word love in these verses with your name. Ian is patient. Ian is kind. Ian does not envy. It's very, very revealing when you do this. Pray and ask God 
that you would be able to show his love the way he has divined it. What is true love? True love is patient. It's kind. It's content. It's humble. It's respectful. It's self-sacrificing. True love is calm, forgiving, truthful, protecting, trusting, hopeful, and love is enduring. That's what true love is. Now, if you're here and you're single, I want you to know that God loves you dearly. And he longs to give you the desires of your heart. So pour out your heart to him. Seek him first. Honor him with your life. Because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. If you're married, then love your spouse in the same way that God loves you. Honor the covenant that you made before God in your marriage. Now, this week is love week. I want to challenge you to step outside of what may be your comfort zone and share the love and truth of who Jesus is in your work, in your community, and beyond. This world desperately needs Jesus. And now that you know what love is, it's now time to put this into action. This week we talked about what love is. And next week we're going to focus on what love does. And I hope and pray that many of you will be able to come up here and share how God moved in you or through you to love others this week. All of us need to love others, not with worldly love, but with biblical love. This is the greatest calling of our lives. Jesus laid down his life for you. Will you lay down your life for others? Now, you may be here and You may think about the word covenant and it may come to where you recognize maybe I need to renew my covenant with the Lord today. Maybe I haven't been walking in love the way that God has defined it and you want to make that right today. You want to renew your covenant. We're going to pray here in just a moment and you can do just that. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a covenant with God. You know who he is, but you've not given your life to him. You haven't began a relationship with him. But today is the day that you want to make that covenant with him. Maybe that's your prayer today. So let's pray. Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in the lives of those that are here today that recognize it's time to renew that covenant that we have with you. We know your side of that deal is irrevocable and it's unending. We know you'll always uphold your side, but our side, Lord, our commitment to you. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need the ability to love like you love. And so I pray today, those that are sitting here and that feel that in their spirit right now, that they need to renew that covenant with with you. I pray that you'd stir them, that you'd encourage them, that you'd help them to make that declaration today. I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna allow you at your seat to just take a few minutes and rededicate yourself to the Lord if you need to make that covenant today. Others of you may be here and you haven't ever made a covenant with God. But God has you here for a purpose. You've heard the truth, and now it's time to put it into action. And so you may want to make that declaration today that 
You want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. You want to enter into a covenant relationship with him. Maybe that's you today. And the word says that all you need to do to do that is to repent and believe. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 tell us that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Repent is a change of mind. You can do that right now at your seat. If that's something that you want my help with or others and want someone to pray with, pray with you, then you can come up after the service and we'll absolutely pray with you. We thank you, Jesus, that we have new life in you, that you've given us the greatest example of love in all the world. And it's your definition of love that we recognize we need to follow. And so we ask that you'd give us the strength and the ability to do just that and for it to be contagious. And reach out into the community and beyond of what your love and truth is all about. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'd like to call my wife up here because we've got one more thing that's very special that we want to do today. All right, everybody's going to be sick of me today. If you're new, I'm not normally up here this often. Um, So I told you today's service was going to be crazy, and we're going to ask ask you to do something that involves you, and it also asks you to step out of your comfort zone. So we want to do a pop-up wedding renewal ceremony right now. And we want to know if there's some couples in here that say, we need to renew our vows. And I believe there are couples here that say, we want to renew our vows right now, today, in front of everybody and in front of God. So who will stand up and say first that they want to renew? I knew you guys would. Come up. You have to go stand over there. Couple more couples. We were praying for four, by the way. Diana, yes. And Ken, come on up. You're going to go over here. <laughs> Shayla said, where are the tissues? There's another couple that needs to renew their vows. Okay. Okay. Come on up. Come over here. Awesome. We're going to do a little something. So all everybody will, let's see. Yeah, bring them over here. We'll have to share. Look at this. This is awesome. All right. Come on up and spread out. So we prayed for four, and there are more. So I got four bow ties and four bouquets, and we're going to share. Who else? Does someone else want to renew their vows? We're doing a pop-up wedding. We still do ceremony. Seriously, come up here. Carrie's going to cry. Shardy has a tissue. All right. Let's see. Are you bringing? Okay. So we have to share. Figure it out. Pull some flowers out. There's one here. Here we go. You guys okay, look at this. This is, a, this is a, a good problem to have. I don't have enough bow ties for everyone. That's hilarious. Put your oh, down. more. Yay. Come up. I do have to call tie? out. I am going to call out. Come on, Steve. I am going to call out Bob and Marsha because if anyone noticed, yesterday was their anniversary 56 years. That is amazing. All right, 
Ian, are you ready? I'm ready. Sorry, we, yeah, let's split the flowers. You cannot split the bow tie. I apologize. She's splitting Come the flowers. Come on, Look get them out of there. Ready. We'll do it. <laughs> Does everybody awesome. get down there? Do we have flowers? Carrie needs some. There we go. All right, husband. All right. I got this, Mike. You can hold that one. Okay. All right, this is awesome, you guys. How cool is that that God would move and, like, fill the stage up here? So cool. Now, in marriage, as in all things, Jesus is in us, and we are in him. Just as he loved us and gave himself for us, so are we to love our spouse and give ourselves completely to him or her. In Jesus, we are free to love without condition, to forgive without bearing a grudge, and to be faithful in the face of adversity. Can you guys turn to each other and hold hands? Like, let's make this more intimate. Come on. In Jesus, we can say to our spouse, I have freely chosen you, and I give you my life and all that I am. Because marriage is a divine institution, and we are asking the Father to renew your union together today as husband and wife, and through his son Jesus, it's fitting that each of you faithfully promised to continue in your marriage covenant. Will, you're doing everybody up right there. Getting down on me. I'm going to do that before I renew the, do the vows. Okay, so he's going to pause for a minute, and we're going to put you even more on your uncomfortable. Are you ready? Mark, I'm going to start with you. I'm sorry. Just quickly say something about your lovely bride. Jody is the most supportive person in my life. Aww. Now you got to follow. <laughs> uh, Mark always takes care of us, uh, even when I disagree with his methods. But, <laughs> but okay. Um. Carrie has always been the most supportive wife and has helped me with my faith walk. Um, and so grateful that she is the mother that she is to our kids. Awesome. She's going to cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. She's gonna have you can do this. <laughs> you can do it. Um, he loves me totally unconditionally all the time. He makes us better. He forces us to walk through the tough times. Yes, I love you. Oh, you guys can say, oh. oh. <laughs> um, I'll say it's been easier to be married to Marsha than it was to get married to Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> Bob is my best friend, and he's been my best friend since I was 15 years old, and um, I'll love him forever. Oh. And the most wonderful You're not thing. supposed to kiss yet. The most wonderful thing is that we love Jesus together. Oh, amen. Now you can you've kiss. Six years, you've earned the extra kisses. It's okay. Okay, well, look at you down on your knee. Woo! Kimmy is the love of my life. She always will be. I cherish her. Um, she helps me for not forget about my faith in Jesus. You know, that's the best thing uh, about her is her faith. How do you top that? <laughs> um, Will is self-sacrificing, uh, sacrificing, supportive, my best friend, and um, it makes me laugh all the time. 
Janet has the most beautiful faith, love, and kindness I've ever known. I've been wanting to do this um, in front of our church family since we've gotten married, so I'm so thankful for this. But I am crazy in love with my husband, and I couldn't have asked for anyone better to spend the rest of my life with. Diane and I were introduced 31 years ago, and I knew 32 years ago. Yay. Oops. It's a The wife is always right. I, yeah, yes, that's right. I knew when I met her. I wanted to marry her, and it's been an amazing marriage together that we've had. We've had many adventures, and she is definitely a blessing from God, and I could not have... I'm, I'm glad you're still part of the First Wives Club, dear. <laughs> <laughs> the smartest thing that he ever said and is the basis of everything is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Amen. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Amen. He said that to me the night that we met. That's great. So I asked for her hand 32 years ago, and we got married on Valentine's. So 32, 32 years on Valentine's Day. And she is the love of my life. And we got many more years together. And I love you forever, and I always will. And you've put up with me and my military career and things I've put you through. Couldn't ask for anything more. Amen. Okay, I'm sorry. Give her a moment. <laughs> um, he's, he's devoted. He's put up with me in everything I've done. <laughs> um, I love you very, very much. My life. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So before I read these vows, and you guys repeat after me, is there anyone else here that may be feeling like the Spirit is leading you to come and renew your vows with your spouse today. Okay. All right, so, husbands, I'm going to speak to you first, okay? Husbands, your wife has given you her life and her love. Do you promise, as her faithful husband in the presence of God, to continue to live together with her in the holy covenant of marriage, to love her as Jesus loved the church, cherish her, build her up, comfort her, honor her, and keep her in sickness and in health, and give yourself only to her so long as you both shall live. I do. I do. Awesome. All right, so wives, talking to you now. Wives, your husband has given you his life and his love. Do you promise as his faithful wife in the presence of God to continue to live together with him in the holy covenant of marriage, to love him, cherish him, build him up, comfort him, be his helper, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and give yourself only unto him, so long as you both shall live. Now you may kiss your bride. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Now I have one song I want to play. Here it comes. Let me turn it up. Yay!
Well, let's close it down today, and we'll, we'll close out in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of renewed vows before you today. I pray, Lord God, your blessing over each and every marriage represented here in this room tonight. And for all those who are single, Lord who may be looking for a spouse or looking for something that only you can provide. And I just pray, Lord, that you would fulfill lives, that you'd heal hearts, that you'd reconcile marriages, that you'd encourage, that you'd help where there's forgiveness that's needed. So, Lord God, we pray that you'd encourage us as we leave to be your hands and feet. And as this love week is upon us, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the courage to step out in faith and share the love and truth of who you are out in our communities, in our work, everywhere that we come in contact with other people. Lord, help us to do just that because we know that love is all about action. And so may we do that this week so that we can come back and testify to what you've done in and through us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. If you need prayer, you want someone to pray with you, I'll be here. There might be others up here, but thank you so much. God bless you, and happy Valentine's Day.